The American political landscape is being swept by winds created by a recent Supreme Court ruling on abortion and a congressional investigation of a former president. Both events threaten to accentuate the divisions in the country. They may also challenge the functionality of a democratic republic and the great American experiment, and they will likely have implications for the midterm elections in November. Here to discuss these issues are Dr. Sarah Fisher, a professor of political science at Emory and Henry College, who joins us by the internet from her home, and Joe Batana, a regular political contributor to WEHC, who is also joining us by internet from Trinity Plaza in New York City. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Pleasure, Dirk. Well, let's start with the January 6th hearing. I am anxious to get from both of you just your general assessments of the value and quality of this hearing so far. Let me start with Sarah. Um, I mean, I have been, I'm trying to think of like things that have surprised me about the hearings, right? Um, I think that generally speaking, the outline of it was well known. Um, I think the details are maybe what's catching the headlines for this, as well as some sort of newer information on the timeline for the January 6th um, storming of the Capitol. I also think just in terms of optics, the thing that I've been really interested in is seeing um, Republicans role in it. Um, so whether we're talking about Liz Cheney or Mike Pence um, or sort of folks who are sort of either presiding over the, the hearing in the case of Liz Cheney um, or sort of main actors in the hearings themselves like Mike Pence. Um, I think that's been really interesting to watch. Joe, what has your assessment been, perhaps particularly of Liz Cheney, who seems to sort of dominate most of the questioning during the hearing? Yeah, and uh, you know, Liz Cheney is one of the few Republicans on the on the committee. The uh, the Republican leadership elected not to have formal representation early in the going because uh, a couple of the um, uh, representatives that were proposed were rejected by Speaker Pelosi. Um, and, um, and so that, that has left uh, Liz Cheney as one of the, one of the few uh, Republicans on the, on the committee. And uh, she's made no bones about the fact that she's very, uh, very unhappy with Trump, very, very displeased with everything that happened. And I actually saw a headline just today that said uh, Liz Cheney um, is, is targeting uh, Trumpism the same way her father Trump um, uh, targeted terrorism back in his day. Um, and, um, you know, so the, 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 the only problem with that is that uh, to, the, to those that tend to be sympathetic to the former president, uh, she doesn't like a lot of credibility because she's viewed as being um, basically on the other side. Uh, I'm not saying she is, but that's just the way she's going to be viewed. Uh, back to you, sir, on that same question. Do you feel that she has been effective or the committee has been effective in terms of what their original mission was in this regard? And that was to sort of lay out a strong case against the former president. I mean, maybe um, if the Department of Justice or another organization wants to try to bring charges against 
um, either former President Trump or one of his close associates, um, I think that they are laying out a compelling case. Now, that being said, I think to Joe's point, I think that if someone was sympathetic to Trump, I don't think there's anything that could have been said or has been said in the hearings that might potentially dissuade someone. Um, I think that's, um, you know, sort of where we are in terms of polarization. Um, but I do think that the details of this might lend itself to a, some sort of legal action. Um, so if that was the goal that I think that has been achieved, um, or at least, you know, the hearings are still ongoing, right? But um, I think that they're sort of doing their best for that um, from that angle. Yeah, we just heard recently the testimony of Cassidy Hutchinson, who was the aide to the chief of staff, Mark Meadows. Mm -hmm. and there has been a lot of media buzz about that and, and of the suggestion that it was pretty compelling testimony. Did it in your mind make any kind of difference in terms of the legal ramifications for former President Trump? Well, some of the things that she laid out were pretty, were, were pretty, um, pretty damning for him if they're true. Um, the, the, the challenge is, first of all, the, the way I'm looking at this, at this hearing is that it, it really is more like a grand jury hearing uh, than a, a trial. In a grand jury hearing, basically the defendant, the defendant's uh, counsel are not present. So it's just the, the DA, the prosecutor presenting evidence. And that's, and that's basically what's, what's going on here. And that's the, the arguments can be made. Now, the thing she said, uh, if, if they're partially true or significantly true, they are quite damning. You know, the, the idea that the former president um, knew that his supporters had weapons. And in spite of that, he wanted to join them to go to the Capitol. Uh, the fact that the, 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 the claim that he tried to, you know, force his Secret Service detail to take him to the Capitol. Um, now, the, the, the fact is, some of the uh, members of the Secret Service detail apparently have absolutely categorically denied that that happened. And when you think about the presidential limousine, which is a very long vehicle, and he'd be sitting somewhere in the back, and the, the drivers are in the front behind a bulletproof uh, uh, window. It makes it seem you know, questionable, but at least she's laid these things out. And uh, if, it, if this is played out in the court of public opinion rather than a courtroom, uh, these allegations potentially could be very harmful to the former president uh, in, the, in, in critical uh, campaign states um, where the Republican Party is going to try to win back the congressional majority this year. And just to add sort of one more thing in here is thinking about how this is harmful is, you know, a bedrock of democracy is the peaceful transfer of power from one party or one person to another. Um, and I think that that is really where the testimony from Hutchinson and others is really calling um, or really referencing that norm and saying this was something that folks did that some folks didn't want to happen right including right. like former president trump and so i think that's where when we think about american democracy as a whole um this kind of testimony is really worrisome well i'm wondering yeah, and, Sarah, if you would think too what doesn't help trump is the fact that this hearing at least from what i've observed is really republicans talking to republicans for the most part you've had 
the two Republicans on the committee, Adam Kinzinger and Ms. Cheney, leading a lot of the questioning. The vast majority of the witnesses are, are Republicans, Trump loyalists, Trump staffers. And to some extent, Democrats are sort of sidelined in this discussion, are not really actively participating. And so I'm wondering, with that plus the Hutchinson testimony, if this doesn't damage the former president, perhaps legally, if it, the political ramifications of this are, are more severe. I mean, that is what the folks who are doing this, you know, who are setting up this hearing are hoping, right? So that is, that is, I think, one of the political goals of it. What are your thoughts on that, Joe? Oh, yeah, uh, I would totally agree. Um, I think that, uh, you know, you, uh, bo both parties are kind of being um, pulled apart by, um, by groups that maybe are, are different from the, the mainstream establishment. And in the Republican side, you have the, the, the very strong pro-Trump loyalists uh, and, the, and more, the more traditional Republicans. And uh, I think that, the, that that latter group is trying to discredit former President Trump and, and his closest uh, allies uh, in the hopes that they can maybe diffuse that movement to some extent and, uh, and, um, and kind of drive it out without, without driving out all of the followers and essentially um, giving up any chance of winning elections in the future. Because if you totally alienate uh, the, the loyalist part of the really hard over loyalist part of that base, it's gonna be very tough for uh, Republicans to win, to win elections. So they're, 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 they're kind of walking that same delicate path that, uh, that I think the Democratic Party is, is um, is walking with the the more the the more aggressively progressive wing of the party. I want to get back to something that Sarah said earlier, uh, which sort of referenced the idea that one of the the larger audiences for this is the Department of Justice. Joe, do you think that this hearing, especially the Hutchinson testimony, now requires action by the Department of Justice? I don't know. If it requires action. It's certainly. Uh, I've I've read many comments that have said. That uh, Merrick Garland, the the um, the Attorney General, is going to have to make one of the hardest decisions in the in the history of the office, and I, I tend to agree with that on on a, on a number of grounds. Um, first of all, do you I mean do you do you want to uh, prosecute a um, a former president who potentially could be the uh, election opponent of your boss two years from now? Um, I mean that's a that's a tough question. Uh, secondly, do you do you risk do you want to risk the possibility of of having this uh, prosecution and having it fragment the country even more than it already is? Uh, and and thirdly, do you want to risk the possibility do you, do you try to prosecute? You're not successful with prosecutions, and it basically allows former President Trump uh, to to come out and say he's been vindicated. Yes, so I think it's going to be a tough tough choice for him. Yes, sir. it does seem like there are a lot of risks involved with that, but I'm wondering if our democracy, to some extent, expects that something is going to happen. You know, I, I think, you know, I referenced the notion that democracy is about peaceful transfer of power. I think it's also about rule of law, that no one is above the law. Uh, and then getting back finally to the political implications of this, 
what does it mean for November? Sarah, do you think that there's a possibility that the fragmentation that Joe referenced in terms of the Republicans over this issue will somehow have an impact on the November elections? I mean, I think November's still a long way away. And so the idea that this is, uh, unless sort of kind of what Joe's saying, unless the Department of Justice decides to bring charges, unless there's sort of something that is ongoing, November is a long way away. So I'm gonna say that it's not gonna impact November as much as one might think. How about you, Joe? I'll let you have the last word on that question. Yeah, I, I agree with Sarah. The, um, um, over the years, I've learned that the, the American electorate has approximately the same uh, attention span as the average housefly, uh, which uh, does not allow it to remember what's going on in, in June, in November. Um, however, there, there's ways that this thing could get strung out even further and it could have impact. Um, I, I can't see it helping the Republicans in any way. I could see it hurting in the sense that if, if people are, uh, and again, uh, you, you know, my, you know my, my feelings on this, that elections are one in the middle, no matter how small, how small the middle is. And, uh, and uh, to the extent that this is playing out negatively, you, as, as well it should, I think, uh, on, the, uh, on, on the Republican party as the party that, that Trump led and, and a lot of folks still support him, um, I, I can't see any of this helping the folks that are in the middle and trying to make a decision as to uh, they want to pull the red lever or the blue lever uh, in, in November. I am talking today with Dr. Sarah Fisher. She is a political science professor at Emory & Henry College and with Joe Batana, who is a regular political contributor to WAHC. We have been talking about the January 6th insurrection in Washington, D.C. I want to turn our attention now to the recent Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade. Sarah, were you surprised at all by that decision by the Supreme Court? Um, I mean, definitely not surprised. Um, this decision was leaked, you know, a little while ago, so people knew about it. Um, not only that, um, states for decades have been um, attempting to limit abortion access, states like Texas, Alabama. Right? Um, I believe that this was specifically about a Texas law. Um, and that's not surprising, right? This has been happening for decades. Um, and so, um, and given the uh, makeup of the Supreme Court, um, no one should have been surprised by this. Joe, did it surprise you at all? Either the announcement recently, the, uh, the court's opinion or the previous leaking of the court's opinion? Uh, no, um, I mean, the, the, the leak that came out, I, and I don't think we, we, I know we don't know yet who, who did it, and, and there's a couple of theories as to who might have done it, but um, I thought that the leak might allow uh, Justice Roberts to try to form a, a, a coalition that would maybe have a, a, a lesser opinion that would be as, as less sweeping, striking down of... Um, of, of Roe v. Wade, but it, it really struck down the, I mean, as, as I read it, I'm not, not an attorney, I don't even play one on TV, Dirk, but uh, my sense is that this thing, that this decision essentially struck, struck down the, the principles that the original court that ruled on Roe v. Wade found the, the so-called penumbras emanating from the constitution about, the, about there being a, a right to privacy, a right to, not have the government 
um, federal or state making decisions about people's uh, livelihoods and, and, and decisions in areas that were not where there was not a, a very compelling state domain. So uh, while I was not surprised, I was somewhat surprised that that it came down as very you know 180 degrees from the previous court 50 years ago and, and to some extent a court that uh, that uh, that believes in in precedent and believes in in not having judicial activism in a sense the 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 extreme finding that uh, that the Roe v Wade uh, decision was totally wrong and needed to be uh, reversed uh, categorically did surprise me. Sarah, now Congress has been making noise about how the Democrats in Congress, at least, have been making noise about how they'd like to respond to this. Is there a response that can be crafted in the short term that could overturn the, the decision of the court, basically? I mean, I would not be optimistic about that, um, if only because the Senate um, exists and um, that anything would have to pass the Senate. Now, that being said, right, I would have thought the same thing about any sort of gun legislation, you know, a month ago. Um, I do think that um, the idea that Congress is the only avenue for legislation is maybe um, like problematic, right? So Congress in a theory could do something. I don't think anything's going to get through the Senate. Um, however, you're also seeing um, state by state, um, you know, challenges to this ruling um, that are, that's already been happening. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised. Oh, actually, I would be surprised because I just don't think that this is on the um, on the docket for President Biden, but I'd I'd be interested if people were suggesting like some executive orders or something that's sort of out of the ordinary for this particular ruling, because I do think sort of echoing Joe's point, I do think if we are to be surprised over this ruling, it is like Joe's saying, right? Sort of the activist nature of it the you know broad rejection of sort of this right to privacy i think that those kinds of things um if framed correctly might concern people for reasons other than thinking about abortion um so maybe you could get some other either state and local you know some state and local governments some executive orders some governors stepping in maybe there are going to be other political sort of uh, machinations besides congress but i just don't imagine congress being very successful at this so does it look like to you that at least in, in the short term we're going to have a really complex issue on our hands at the state level and the federal level and that for the typical woman who may be seeking an abortion, the, it's not going to be a clear-cut case as to whether it's legal or not, depending on where she is and what the circumstances are around that abortion. And so we're left with a very confused situation, at, at least in the short term. Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think we're definitely looking at a, at a very confused and, and, uh, and complex situation, and particularly if some states some of the, the, the red states, and remember, Dirk, I, that's, that's kind of the side of the political aisle that, that I, I generally inhabit, although maybe not too far over on the right, on the red side, but uh, uh, I, could see some, uh, I could see some states passing legislation on things that, uh, that 
really had been pretty well settled based on the principle, uh, the principles that were initially found in Roe v. Wade, uh, and uh, and that could be, you know, pretty pretty extreme and draconian. For example, let's suppose a state decides that they want to pass a law that that makes it illegal for someone to facilitate a woman, a pregnant woman's uh, trip to, uh, you know, from Wisconsin, where, where I live, uh, and which has a mid-1800s law that prohibits abortion, um, and uh, to help her plan a trip to go to Illinois, which does permit abortion. Um, you know, I, I, I could see, I don't think Wisconsin will do that, but I could see some states doing that, and that's going to create a, a, a potential problem. Um, other things that have been um, basically en enshrined in, in law through through judicial decision, um, you know, for example, uh, you know, gay marriage. I could see some states deciding to uh, to outlaw gay marriage, and uh, and uh, and the Supreme Court uh, finding that there's nothing that stops them from doing that. I mean, Clarence Thomas so much has stated that in his opinion, and uh, and uh, said to, I think to. To, to many of us who are who are conservatives, um, and and who had some issues at least with the initial Roe v. Wade decision, uh, I mean this is pretty 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 scary, honestly, and 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 worrisome. And I would also just add that those kinds of restrictions are already happening, right? So multiple states, right after the ruling. Um, cl effectively closed abortion, even with like people sitting in the waiting room, right? Um, and I think the other thing to be pointing out on this idea of like travel to other states is that poor people are going to be bearing the brunt of this ruling. Um, poor people, people of color, um, like queer folks are going to be bearing the brunt of this ruling. Um, and this sort of notion that like, oh, you can just travel to another state, um, like that's pretty straightforward, is just not really the case, especially given that people expect that the demand for abortion in states where it's currently legal will go up so much um, that people are going to have trouble getting appointments. Um, so I do think that, you know, the sort of chaos, you know, in this moment um, is really pretty high, not to mention another one of the issues that states are going to be dealing with is that um, medical abortion, so an abortion pill, that has gone up even prior to this decision um, mm -hmm. in response to like what text, the law that Texas ruled, for instance. And so then I think you get into even additional privacy concerns where you're like, are you going to start digging through people's mail, right? Like the, and like those kinds of, you know, questions and privacy concerns, I think are just going to be even more on the forefront um, as, as we muddle through this. Well, my final question to y'all is a, a redux of what I asked uh, when we discussed our last issue, and that involves the political implications for November. Joe, I wonder if, unlike the January 6th hearings, if this issue has more longevity in the minds of voters. It's the kind of issue that a large number, a large segment of the population, particularly women, are very passionate about. And so it's hard to perhaps forget like other issues might be. Do you think this has more staying power than perhaps other issues might for um, electoral politics? Yeah, well, I, I, think, I think this one will keep itself uh, in the minds of the electorate simply because some of this chaos that we were just talking about 
is going to is going to be very much in in process as we approach the elections. Uh, there's going to be there's going to be situations happening. There's going to be cases uh, being filed. There's going to you know the, the laws being passed uh, right up to that time that uh, that are going to basically be reminding people on a daily basis as they start to pay attention more and more for, for the election that this happened. And um, I you know I, I can see it really two ways. One of them is this may uh, re-energize some of the more the very conservative uh, side of the of the red group to to say hey you know political action wasn't important we because of sustained years of, of getting um, Republican majorities and Republican presidents and getting justices who think like we do in 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 power we we're able to to win this uh, but I think there's a a very strong counter wave and and particularly in some of those uh, uh, districts like what, what we saw in Virginia. Uh, in the in the in the recent election, where some of the some of those uh, districts that had gone uh, Republican before went uh, sorry it went Democrat before went Republican could swing back around just because they are, you know, pretty pretty shocked at the at the the impact of that decision and the impact of having you know judges that feel that way sitting in the court. So I think it stays uh, in 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 focus, and I think that while it it could. Uh, uh, encourage both sides of the electorate, I, I think it, it, it helps blue more than it helps red. Sarah, you get the final word on that. Um, I was just going to say, I, I agree with Joe. I think that this potentially has more staying power um, as far as the November election goes. I also think that it really has highlighted um, sort of issues with the Constitution and issues with the amendments. I mean, women aren't talked about out in the constitution, you know, like the, the original text of the constitution at all, right? Like there's nothing. And so thinking about like, where do rights come from? Not just for women, but for everyone in the United States, right? I think that um, maybe this will, this has ignited, I think some bigger issues, whether it's about gender, whether it's about the right to privacy, like all of these things, I think have potentially more staying power for the midterms. I have to leave it there until we can come together again. I really appreciate you both making the effort to be with me today to have this discussion. Joe Batana, a commentator for WHC on politics, who's joining us from New York City at Trinity Plaza. Thank you for being here. And Sarah, thank you from, for joining us from your home. I really appreciate the time you give to this discussion. Thanks. Thanks again, Dirk. Good seeing you, Sarah. Stay healthy. Good talking to all of you. You have been listening to Together to Get There, the show dedicated to economic and community development in Southwest Virginia. I am your host, Dirk Moore. You have also been listening to WEHC 90.7, the voice of Southwest Virginia. Thank you for listening.